0: That's stamps.com. Code program. Coming up on Choppers Politics.
3: I want a Prime Minister who's giving the civil servants the orders, not the other way around. If Liz Truss is the Prime Minister, I have no doubt whatsoever who's going to be in charge.
4: Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, the Telegraph's Associate Editor for Politics, and this is Choppers Politics. And the mud slinging between the Tories goes on. We've seen their taxes rise, despite the fact that we promised in our manifesto so so Hang on, on Liz. I, I, think, I think, think that
3: is what. Just just on. You just mentioned three countries. Do you know what mortgage rates are in the US at the moment? Do you want to use them as an example? Their mortgage rates are almost 50% higher than mortgage rates in this country because they're borrowing so much. I'm, I'm you sorry, this, Canada. Is I'm Canada on. Canada
4: this is This is Project Fear. A,
3: oh, I, I remember the it referendum is. campaign. I remember the referendum campaign. And there were only one of us who was on the side of Remain and Project Fear. And it was you, not me. OK. And you talk well, about I've this. Maybe I've learned
0: from we're,
4: we're, and so as the final two leadership candidates continue to make their claim for the top job, and convince members to vote for them, I'll be joined by Marc-Francois, the Tory MP and chairman of the Eurosceptic European Research Group of Tory MPs to hear his thoughts on who the best candidate is for Brexiteers. And the Telegraph's Chief Political Correspondent, Camilla Turner, will be with us to give us a glimpse into the spin rooms that surround the leadership TV debates. But first, back in the real world, many of us have been caught up in what some of us call Backlog Britain, Another train strike, or maybe you've been caught up in the queues at Dover on your way to the summer holiday, or maybe you can't get a passport yet. Still in the post. There's a sense, really, that Britain, well, isn't working. And this week, the new Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, Kit Malthouse, MP, chaired a Cobra meeting to see what could be done to ease disruption. So I asked Kit Malthouse to join me at my usual stool in the Red Line pub to have a chat about, well, just that. Kit Malthouse, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Great to have you here at the Red Line again.
1: My pleasure. I think this is my third appearance. And, yes, you've been a housing go minister. back as, as yeah. far, yeah, as Brexit, if Brexit, you remember, was the, the first appearance when the old... Uh, the Malthouse Compromise. The Malthouse Compromise uh, found its place in the obscure GCSE yes. politics questions. Nothing came of it in the end. No, unfortunately. <laughs> although, yes. as we... You know, struggle to find a solution to the Northern Ireland Protocol. More and more of the structure of the compromise right. is starting to hove into view. You know, how you deal, if you remember, it was all predicated on how you deal with the problem at the border. And we're going to have to think about cameras, do you, remember, do you remember that phrase alternative arrangements that came in in those days? So I'm, I think when the history is written, as I say people may look back and see it as a small comma. <laughs> that was worth, worth, worth taking note of.
4: But let's move on. You're now the, the CDL, the Chancellor for the Duchy of Lancaster. What does that do?
1: So essentially the, the Chancellor sits at the heart of, of government in the Cabinet Office, effectively as the kind of delivery engine for the Prime Minister. So, you know, PM obviously got a lot to do in Number 10. It's a very busy place, but has a series of political priorities. And the CDL is meant to sit there and make sure that they happen. Alongside that, also there is this kind of grip function yeah uh, which is when the day to day swarm of wasps comes at the government like the heat that we had uh, last week the job of the Cabinet Office is to make sure that the government is coordinated in all its functions with the police, yeah. with the resilience forums across the Say country. Say the word Cobra, it's fine. Yeah, Cobra. You, you hold the Cobra meeting. Right. my job is to chair Cobra. Right, but is it
4: your job or Boris Johnson's job? No, it's
1: absolutely, definitely my job. Right. The Civil Contingency Secretariat, which is part of the Cobra structure, sits in my department. My job is to chair it, make sure that it's functioning, that government is doing everything it can to get everybody through. And then to report to the Prime Minister. Now, from time to time, a PM may chair a COBRA in particular circumstances. In fact, I think I've been in lots of COBRAs over the years, but the only one that's been chaired by a Prime Minister was back in the riots of 2011 when David Cameron chaired a COBRA. So there are urgent ones, but routinely... And some COVID
4: cha- ones were chaired by the PM. That's
1: right. And, the, and the, the, But routinely, it would be the the Secretary of State in the area that's concerned. And when it's cross-government, that's generally me. So we did that and get through the heat. And there are lots of other issues that we, we have to kind of grip, mm. like the Strikes. You know, we had a. I held a meeting, not a Cobra, what we call a grip meeting, yeah. uh, just to make sure that we were all ready for a busy period. You know, we got strike, opening of the Commonwealth Games, another weekend of busy travel across the network. Yeah. All those things take a lot of okay. coordination work. So currently, I mean, do you?
4: I feel increasingly that Britain isn't working. There were long delays for passports, long delays for a driving test, huge user Channel Tunnel. It's hard to see a GP face to face. The price of stuff's going up in the shops threats of walkouts in schools, postal services. We saw trains yesterday stranding me up in Hertfordshire. Not all of that is your fault, but you're in government, so it's on you.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: Do you think it's a problem for the Tory party, for the government, that there's a feeling out there, there's a lack of grip on just getting stuff done, making it work for taxpayers?
1: Look, there's definitely a picture there which is... is partial but is infecting everybody's thinking and and it's a complicated one because there's no doubt about it that coming out of covid we had a series of backlogs and people would expect that to be the case right the nhs was galvanized in saving us all from this horrible disease the courts couldn't be open and so we've got some catch-up to do there right so there's there's lots of that kind of catch up from covid that i think people recognize why it's occurred but they want urgency in addressing it So you're spot on there. But then there's also the partial picture, right? So if you look at the transport stuff that we had last weekend... You are right that we had severe delays at Dover and at Folkestone. It was not a good picture, and there's reasons for that. We need to work with our French brethren to make sure that we get that sorted out for next weekend, and we're doing some work on that. That's because a
4: few, not of guards came over. Yeah, there? that's right. And, to, and you know, park. and
1: we need to, to, to work together collegiately with them. The French have been brilliant subsequently. They helped us get through the backlog really quickly, which is great, and so it's run all week fine. But beyond the short straits issues, actually... The rest of the transport network worked really well. You know, a very small number of flights were canceled when everyone was forecasting disaster. You know, terminal two at Heathrow, I dropped my family there, that was great. It all worked fine. There were some delays, but broadly on the busiest weekend we've had for a number of years. So is most that, of is that an unfair worked. picture I painted there? So it's a partial picture. Bias picture. Yeah, for them, not biased, that's not fair. <laughs> you would never be biased <laughs> no. in um, the Telegraph. Telegraph. But for those people who were involved in those backlogs in, in Dover and Folkestone, it was obviously very painful and we need to do we can to sort it out but it wasn't the full picture and everywhere else was was fine so part of the job that i've got at the moment is projecting that notion of of grip that people understand that we are beavering away hard on the backlogs that we are trying to remove the grit uh, from the oyster so for example as i say i had all the ministers from across government into a meeting on tuesday to say look we've got the busy five-day period now strikes travel commonwealth games euro mm-hmm. uh, you know women's euro all yeah, that it's going to be days. busy are we all set right kent are you braced right dft are you sorted you know dhsc dcms the game's going to be fantastic they've got all their plans in place okay. you know, please are you ready and so we we have got a grip but projecting that through the cloud of problems is sometimes quite tricky
4: and, and, and delays on driving tests delays at passports the strike action i know this you, you're in government so you get blamed for, for everything because you're in charge basically That's a risk, I think, for the party, your party, going forward into the next election. I
1: I think that's right. And people have some basic requirements and services that they want uh, working. But, you know, I mean, if you look at passports, the picture is that 97 point something percent uh, in the first half of the year were processed within 10 weeks. Right. So so we've got a job to do to communicate. Uh, what the true picture is now that doesn't yep. mean that the three percent that aren't getting their passports in time shouldn't get them they should we want to get to 100 percent, and there is work to do there so you know as we get towards the autumn and a new prime minister what i want to be in a position to do is say look here are the problems that we've identified here are the plans to sort them out and here are the communication
4: civil service fit for purpose for this that there's a review announced this week by francis Maud looking at whether it actually is the rolls-royce service we're told
1: it is well, Francis is going to conclude, as I say, quite quickly by September. And I think even the most ardent officials would say the civil service can always improve. And, you know, we're doing work, Jacob and I, to, to make sure that that is the case. But look, I find with officials that if you are clear about what you want, you give them quick decisions and you show strong leadership, then they generally brigade themselves to deliver. And I saw that, you know, I did three years fighting crime at the, at the Home Office. And certainly the crime side of, the, of that business, you know, by the time we'd finished, were really galvanised about the mission and firing all cylinders. And as a result... They want clarity. They want clarity. That's what they want. They want a clear decision. They want it quick. And then they're able to sort themselves out.
4: Is working from home damaging public service output? Is the fact that lots of civil servants are able to work from home a problem?
1: so i i think it is a problem although obviously there's a place for working from home particularly say on a strike day and it should you know it will always be part of the balance and quite a lot of mps sometimes work from their constituencies if they're ministers but there's a critical issue i think at the heart of this that we have to face and that is our obligation to young people right young people cannot learn remotely If they're sitting in their bedroom, in their little flat, or wherever it might be, as a junior civil servant, they do not pick up the nuance, the skills, the informal mentoring that more senior officials and, indeed, politicians can provide. And, you know, as somebody who's got a young man, you know, a 24-year-old son, who sometimes does work a bit from home... I think it would be a dereliction of duty if him and all the others were left just to sit in their bedrooms full time. So personally, I think our obligation to young people is the most important people. And is that damaging public service to delivery? Well, I think over time it will, yes. I think because they they won't be as skilled, right? I mean, you will remember, Chris, when you were a junior reporter on the newspaper, could you have done that from your back bedroom? No. Or when you sat at the knee of some of the greats of journalism yes, it's george and, jones yeah. that off. Exactly. i mean you sat there
4: listening to how they operated yeah and you learn tricks and way to make things happen exactly shortcuts
1: exactly and as you exit a meeting with somebody you give t- you examine the meeting in a way that when you turn off zoom you can't right? so how do you make that happen because people
4: want to work from home it's quite nice you know they can save an hour each each side of the day at uh, the
1: beginning and end commuting time you know how do you crack the whip in Whitehall? What does I say I mean first of all you have to make that case right make the 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 moral and efficient case about the younger cohort of officials who are coming through and our duty to them. Uh, secondly obviously there is a You know, we can agree through kind of terms and conditions and all the rest of it that there's a certain percentage of time they need to be in the office. And it is the case, right, that we have got now satellite offices around. So, you know, uh, Jacob is opening a cabinet office facility in in Birmingham today, and they will no doubt link with central london by zoom whether they're at home or in the office right so a dispersed work environment is something that i think is probably here to stay but as i say i think that our obligation to train and skill and equip more junior members of staff is the critical lever we can use to make sure that people spend as much time in the office as they can you, you
4: mentioned a minimum percentage there what, what is that number
1: well, I mean, it, it obviously, horses for courses, right? And each department will make his own. Judge, but, I, but my what personal view is I would, I would think it would be a bit odd if you weren't spending three to four days a week in the office. Mm. Because, you know, young people need to see a variety of senior people and to learn from a variety of people. And they need to encounter you. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know what you, how you felt during lockdown. But certainly the young people I took, they found it very soul-destroying. Uh, being quite stuck depressing at in the i think it 's quite depressing right you know and, and if you 've got time between meetings and you know you 're clicking onto zoom you don't get the debrief the general social chat all that stuff
4: but you want to see the leaders in civil service more of them in five days a week because it comes from the top doesn't it if they're in then all their staff are in yeah so
1: i don't have a perception that that's not happening right i mean i have to confess to you i haven't looked at their daily schedules that wouldn't be appropriate but certainly i've found over the last three years that officials are in and are keen to be in senior ones at at a senior level are keen to be in and at their desk as I say, able to give that sense of, of leadership and, and control. Because the you boss is in, remote. you
4: want to be in too. I think so. That's how all companies work, Well, yeah,
1: it? I mean, yeah, as I say, but critical, as I say, to it, is this idea of, of our obligation to the young. And I yeah. think if we all acknowledge that as senior leaders, then you can see the way forward.
4: Um, your old friend, Kit Malthouse of Boris Johnson, do you regret
1: him quitting office? I do, yes. Uh, obviously, um, it was a... Disappointing end to what was a remarkable three-year period, and you know there are lots of historians who will look back and examine the confluence of events that resulted in that defenestration. So, of course, I think I don't think there's anybody in the party who would think it was a wasn't or something. Do you to, feel to let regard.
4: down that he had to go so early? I mean, five weeks ago he was talking about being PM until 2030s. Last September, a national paper had him going for 10 years. and think it's all over. I mean
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, as, as I say, I, I expected uh, when we came in with that massive majority that we were all set for a very long period. For two terms? Yeah, for two terms, possibly more, that it was going to be a, a great period when we could really deliver Brexit. You know, I voted leave uh, yeah. with enthusiasm and, uh, you know, I was looking forward to... I don't know, rebuilding the nation as we came out of that period. And he's obviously a very potent political force. I'd seen that at City Hall when we worked uh, together. So it is regrettable and sad that it's... Do you think his friends
4: didn't save him from himself? I, I include you in that. You're an old friend of his. You knew how he worked in City Hall. You knew the weaknesses... Or didn't he listen to, to advice? I mean, what happened there? Because he was a known character, a known figure for all of you people.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a hard one to pin down. I mean, as I say, I spent the three years focused very much on fighting crime. It's obviously clear that at times the chemistry wasn't right between the personalities there, and that resulted you know, we've got obviously mm. lots of noises Resignations, off, yeah. which, have, which haven't helped. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it seemed a strange kind of confluence of events that r- resulted in what it did. But you know what? Politics. I think it was Alan Clark who said it's the roughest game at the biggest table. <laughs> Bloody well, this is. is the way it goes, right? And, and now we're turning a big page in our before history. We,
4: before we turn that page, fourteen thousand members, maybe a few a few fewer than that, with some uh, left wing infiltration. But anyway, thousands of members wanting to uh, vote on whether he should go at all. Do you agree with them?
1: Yeah, it's just not going to happen. No. Uh, no, but do you agree with them? Do you no, think, I, don't.
4: I don't. Even though they would say two to one, they voted for. No, Boris. I mean,
1: well, first of all, it's not in the rules um yeah, so it's it can't not fair, happen is it? No, well path. look you know you've got to turn a page and it, uh, the the time has come and certainly i think i've seen in the media that the number 10 have said look this is just not on let's turn to, a page yeah, that was just weird. and and you know one of the things we now have to focus on is is who and where we go next
4: well who are you backing
1: so i haven't declared uh, thus well, far you
4: were in the pub this way you tell, you tell, me, tell me secrets in the pub no <laughs>
1: You hear me talking, not listening. Well, Louise, I, Louise is recording it, it. Well, it's it's early morning. You might need to give me more than a coffee to get it out of me. But um, but no, I I look. I've during the the campaign, I've listened carefully to what people are saying. But in truth, you know what I think my job is now is to prepare the cabinet office for whoever it is, right? So that when they come in. As I think I said in your Sunday sister paper, you know, that they can call down to the to the engine room, Scotty House, warp drive, shields up, phasers forward and off we go. <laughs> That's referring to the Star Trek, the bridge of the Star Trek, Star Trek Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, who's yeah. who's going to be
4: or Captain Kirk? Or Captain,
1: uh, well, I don't know. Or we'll Cap- find out. It could be, or, yeah, it could Truss, could be one Truss, of Captain the two. C- I mean, look, I think I know them both. They are both really great politicians. I'd be happy to work for, for both Rishi and I, elected on the same day. I've known him throughout. In fact, we worked together at MHCLG when I was Housing Minister. Liz, I got to know, she founded... Do you remember that think tank called Freer that she yes, set up it was Freer. all about? We started that yes. conversation. I'm happy, you know, having had a little bit of a hand in the conversation about tax around the table, happy to see well, that Well, just on that, was advantage. it
4: too you, you were the only one muttering cutting taxes when Boris asked for ideas in Cabinet?
1: I can't discuss... What was was in Cabinet. You'll have to wait 20 years because I am still a government minister, so I can't discuss. But I have throughout my political career been a low tax, minimum spend, Tory.
4: And is it true that you had to be moved out of the Prime Minister's eye line because you'd roll your eyes in the exaggerated fashion whenever some crazy idea was produced by someone else in Cabinet well, that was very unconservative? From
1: memory, there was a very reputable journalist who's normally very well sourced, who wrote that story. I wonder who, <laughs> who it might be. I couldn't possibly comment. It might have been me, listeners. It might <laughs> have been me. What job do you want in the next government? Well, look, I'm happy to serve uh, pretty much wherever people put me. Um, I've developed a over the years accidentally a kind of specialism in fighting crime having done that at City Hall and then three years at the Home Office but you know you come into politics to do stuff and to be constructive I'd love to do a job that allows me to put into practice what I've spent all those years learning so it's, I can't really predict what job is going to be I have to tell you so far, my career politically has been sort of random, if it is a career. Yeah. So, if you look, for example, at, at City Hall, you know, I got selected as a assembly member candidate. Um, we didn't have a candidate for mayor at that time. Then Boris became the candidate, and we didn't think we were going to win. Then he won, and twenty-four hours later, what's I was it, it helping to like? run the Metropolitan Police. Yeah. Now, you couldn't yeah. predict that. Yeah,
4: yeah. A, I mean, there's no training that, is there? But you, no. but you, you have, a i think, a touch for what people want to hear from a Tory government, which is lacking. Some of your colleagues, you can argue. Look,
1: I, I every day is a is a surprise and an honour to me. You Know, I'll keep beavering hard and working as hard as I possibly can. Well, well, what will your
4: victory be, Kit Malthouse?
1: Mine? Yeah. Oh, I don't
4: know.
1: Who comes on this show and, and predicts their own death? <laughs> um, maybe you know something I uh, I don't... I would love to think that he just gave it everything he's got. How about beam me up? <laughs> beam me up, Scotty, possibly. But look, I mean, that's an interesting point, right? the, the, the One of the things that's dogged governments over the last 34 years is that ability to show kind of momentum and movement and change for the people who are out there on the street, right? And and one of the things that feeds the cynicism about you're all the same and nothing ever changes is their inability mm. to feel in their own lives the change that's yeah. coming forward over the next few weeks and however long they'll give me in this job. That's what I want to put a new prime minister in position to do: because is you, to effect change. You've been on in power for
4: twelve years. Yeah. At some point, you've got to. You know, does it is the government does it
1: feel knackered to you, exhausted? Time for a break? No, it doesn't actually. And I'll tell you why: because twenty nineteen. We got a big shot of energy into the party, right? A whole new cadre of MPs came in, young, vigorous, you know, brimming with ideas from areas of the country that we hadn't represented for a long time. And I think that is a kind of had a rejuvenating and galvanizing effect right and i think as we move into this next phase of the of the government and indeed of the party you'll start to feel that come through more and more and so no i think 2019 you know whatever you people think about boris johnson that enormous victory that he led us to has galvanized the government how will history history remember him i think it will remember him well and i think it'll look back over the last three years and think he got more done in three years than most get done in ten
4: Kit Malthouse, the Chancellor for the Duchy of Lancaster. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics.
1: My pleasure. Great to have you Lovely on. to see you again.
4: Kit Malthouse there. Now, do stay with us, listeners. Coming up next, the Telegraph's own Camilla Turner will be pulling back the curtain on the spin room. What's it like and why do they even exist? And Mark Francois MP on why he and other Brechtiteers are putting their trust in Liz trust. Right after this. If you're finding this podcast interesting, you may also like our new daily podcast, Ukraine, the latest. Every weekday, The Telegraph's leading journalists bring you the latest news and the most informed analysis of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine. From our newsroom in London and from the
1: ground. The Russian machine has been ground to a halt now for well over a week, and that is just staggering. NATO has
4: to act now. It has to do more than it's currently doing. Otherwise, in this Ukrainian MP's
0: words, you'll have to evacuate the whole continent.
3: One video that we found to be incorrect was bomb squads seen in the Donbass region. The metadata of this clip shows that it was created in 2019, not today.
0: Search Ukraine, the
4: latest, in the same place you're listening to this and click follow so you don't miss an update. Now as TV debates get underway and hustings start to happen around the country for members, we hear more of what are called spin rooms, this US invention where MPs and politicians supporting one particular candidate try to convince journalists why their person is fit for the job. And this week, our own Camilla Turner went to one spin room set up alongside the BBC's election debate in Stoke. Camilla Turner, The Telegraph's chief political correspondent, what's it like?
2: So the spin room is basically a room that's next to where the main event is happening so in this case in Leeds it was the leadership debate run by the BBC and the spin room was a whole area packed full of journalists about 100 journalists from the BBC plus some other print journalists the different news channels and then it's also where all the members of the different leadership campaigns go so the MPs supporting them their campaign team members everyone who's in that room to spin and to go around briefing journalists about why it is that their leadership candidate came out as the winner of the debate. Uh,
4: and, And did it work so they'd walk around saying what Liz Truss said on tax, she really meant this or that. Was a-
2: so what was quite interesting is that Rishi Sunak's campaign had a very heavy presence in the room. There were probably about six different people, his MP supporters, so Dominic Raab, Richard Holden, Claire Cortino, plus multiple campaign members, whereas Liz Truss had a much smaller presence. It was pretty much just Therese coffee at the end of the night, briefing people, plus Jonathan Gullis, who's the local MP for um, Stoke. So... There was the Rishi's campaign team talking to all the journalists, telling everyone why Rishi had done so well. But in fact, that told a very different story to what the snap poll said among Conservative Party members, which showed that actually, despite what Rishi's campaign was saying, it was Liz Truss who had fared the best, according to the polls. Is
4: that wise then? So if Liz Truss are downplaying the value of spin, is that sort of helping her campaign in a strange way? And perhaps uh, Rishi's you know, like, overcompensating shows how, how, how he's lagging behind.
2: Exactly. I think it was a clear sense of Rishi Sunak knowing that he's the underdog in the campaign, that he's got the the most catching up to do, needs to impress, um, needs to try and get his word out among journalists that he's still someone who's in it to win it and and could still come out on top. Clearly you could see that by the much heavier presence from his campaign team. I think from Liz Truss, I suppose it might show that they feel they don't need to do quite as much impressing journalists because maybe they feel Liz Truss's performance speaks for itself.
4: And there's more of these um, hustings you'll be going to more spin rooms I mean, and and is it worth going to do you think
2: absolutely because I think you can really feel the atmosphere in those rooms you can see things that you wouldn't know about otherwise for example at the beginning there was a member of Liz truss's campaign team having a quiet chat in the corner with the director general of the BBC what are they saying no one knew but it was quite interesting to see those hushed discussions going on um, you can also get a sense of the energy what exactly the spin is they're trying to say so something that was quite interesting was right after the debate the Rishi sunak campaign team was saying oh there's a snap poll that shows Rishi sunak's done better it's 39 to him, 38 to Liz, and telling everyone about that. But in fact, that poll was among the general population. And actually, among the membership, membership, it was 47 to Liz and 38 to Rishi. So that is a classic example of spin, telling a bit of the story that looks good for you, but not the whole story. And actually, it's the Tory party members that are the ones that actually count for this.
4: Do you think there have been too many of these debates? I mean, we've got loads of them, haven't we? We've got um, LBC is holding one in 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 Leeds today, although that's the first one involving members alone.
2: There are a lot of these debates coming up this summer and hustings and events and so on. I can see how from the leadership contestant's perspective, they might think, God, there's just so many, give us a break already. But at the same time, we are choosing the country's next, well, I say we, some people are choosing the country's next <laughs> prime minister, yes. a very small segment of the population. So I actually think the more of these hustings and debates and public appearances mm. that they're doing, the better, because... Essentially, this is not the most democratic way to choose a prime minister. It's only Conservative Party members. So I think it is quite important for the rest of the population to actually hear a bit more about the policies and personalities of the person who's going to be leading the country. And they're
4: honing their debate, aren't they? Their arguments. And arguably, there was no similar process with Theresa May in 2016. There was no process for Gordon Brown in 2007. And I would argue both prime ministers were were lesser prime ministers for that reason. They hadn't honed their debate in in this crucible of, of debate with a rival.
2: Exactly. The more public appearances Rishi, Sunak and Liz Truss do, and particularly the ones they do together, they're forced to really crystallise their arguments and also be able to defend their arguments against the other, and then see each time in the polls what people are thinking and how they go down in the court of public opinion. And that's really important, because it's not like a normal Prime Minister being elected on a manifesto where they have to set out in a lot of detail all their promises, and it has to really stand up to scrutiny. All we can hear about their manifesto, as it were, is what they're saying this summer in the debates and when asked questions by journalists
4: and just a final camilla turner the an easy question who's going to win
2: i think as things stand it's looking like liz truss
4: well camilla turner our chief political correspondent with the news there from the spin room and should be doing more spin rooms i'm sure going out into july and august thanks for joining us this week on choppers politics great to have you on thanks for having me Now, one thing seasoned political watchers will know is that in a leadership contest, there are some subjects that can make or break a candidate. And it will be a surprise to absolutely nobody that the B word, Brexit, is still featuring in this contest in 2022, six years after Britain, yep, six years after Britain voted to leave the European Union. So I asked Marc-Francois MP, the chairman of the ERG, the Tory group of hardline Brexiteers, who he thought was the best person for Brexit when it came to Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. Mark Francois, welcome to Chopper's Politics.
3: Good to be back. Thank you very much, Chopper.
4: Now, you're chairman of the European Research Group of Tory MPs, the hardline, that's some sort of hardline, Brexiteer group who keep the flame alive for a true Brexit. Which candidate is better for you? Uh, I think it's Liz Truss.
3: Look, the job of the Parliamentary Party...
4: I'm going to stop you right there. She's not even a a Brexiteer. (laughs)
3: Rishi Sunak's a Brexiteer. She was a Remainer. Come on. She voted Remain in 2016. We all know that. But we might go into the detail of this. Because of what she's done on the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, you know, to solve a problem that the ERG has wanted solved for over two years, we believe. That, in a sense, showed her bona fides. Why, why do I say that? The bill went through 12 different drafts, and there was a battle royal within government. I know for a fact that Liz Truss, it's her bill, it's a Foreign Office bill, ably supported, it should be said by Suella Braverman, was constantly trying to toughen that bill up, while Rishi Sunak and others were constantly trying to water that bill down. It all came to a head a big cabinet subcommittee meeting in June and to cut a long story short Liz and Suella prevailed. We now have the bill. It flew through the House of Commons. Not a single Conservative MP voted against it at second reading. It will be in the Lords in the autumn and Liz has made very plain if necessary she will use the Parliament Act to drive it through in the face of potential Europhile opposition in the House of Lords. So there, if you like, empirically are her. Okay. Now, now hang on, Chopper. This is really important. Even if you won't take it from me that I, as chairman of the RG Trust, is on Europe, you can take it from Bill Cash, John Redwood, IDS, David Jones, Steve Baker. If she's good enough for those people on Europe, she's good enough for me.
4: We reported this uh, wrangle as a headline, Brexit Queens, Liz Truss and Swell of Braveman flutter leadership feathers (laughs) in attempts to harden Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. That was on 9th of June. Now, listen, that was pretty good journalism, wasn't it? Because they both ran for leadership and won still in the race. Moving on. Anyway, um, yes, you're quite right, uh, Mark Francois. Just just, just quick,
3: I apologise for interrupting your flow, but I hope you'll understand why I'm doing this. You know, you've mentioned the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. David Trimble. Uh, Lord Trimble was was very pro doing this and I would just very briefly on behalf of the group like to pay tribute to him he was a great statesman a man of peace uh, a noble prize winner quite rightly and he took immense uh, political and indeed personal risks to help negotiate the Good Friday Agreement, which is the absolute basis of peace now in Northern Ireland and why we need the Protocol Bill to, to uphold it. So, so thank you for your forbearance, but I would, on behalf of the group, like to pay a generous tribute to David Trimble, without whom we would not have peace in Northern Ireland today. Absolutely, R-
4: R.I.P. Lord Trimble. Definitely. Just, just still on Northern Ireland. To go back, to, you weren't in the room for this debate, but you know enough about it. When Liz Truss fought against Rishi Sunak, what was the issue which Sunak was trying to? I mean, and, and how was he watering down Brexit? If he was
3: doing that, well, th- there are num- a number of powers in the bill that allow ministers to put right some of the difficulties with with the protocol with regarding customs and, and, and other matters, and also and that, 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 that's trade going between GB and, Nor- and Northern yes, Ireland. Yes, and, and and tax and VAT, and Rishi, advised by the Treasury mandarins, was constantly trying to you know water down the ability in the bill to treat Northern Ireland pretty much the same as the rest of the United Kingdom. You know, the Treasury wanted reserve powers to keep everything different if necessary. And Liz was arguing very much that, you know, Northern Ireland has to be an integral part of the UK. I mean, there were a number of other arguments within that. But basically, it was Liz and Suella versus Rishi and others, and Liz and Suella won.
4: And it was trying to use, maybe, treat Northern Ireland as a bargaining chip for future talks with the EU. That was what was happening there, possibly.
3: Well, that's how you've characterised it. I mean, you know, one, one of the points about, you know, Rishi's latest proposal on VAT, which is a bit quirky, given that he spent, you know, several weeks lecturing us all on fiscal probity.
4: That, 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 that's a temporary removal of VAT from fuel bills.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then, and then suddenly announces a four billion tax cut, which may or may not have something to do with him being 24 points behind in the polls. Amongst members, not, not, not nationally. Nationally, he's doing
4: quite well, isn't he?
3: Well, yeah, but, but, but the, the members of the electorate for this election. So, so but no, the, the, the really important point is at the moment, until that bill goes through, even if that VAT cut were made, it wouldn't apply in Northern Ireland because of the protocol. So, Liz's bill would remove those impediments so that if you wanted to reduce VAT, you could do it across the whole of the UK. At the moment, you couldn't implement Rishi's proposal in Northern Ireland because of the protocol, and it's Lizzie's bill that seeks to solve that problem. So, Why, do,
4: why, is, this ha- why is this happening? Do you think there's a problem with Rishi? Is he a prisoner of treasury orthodoxy? Is he not willing to demonstrate his unionist uh, Credentials. I saw him in action this week in Harpenden. The members liked him. He was convincing. Um, he talked a good game on the issue of the culture wars and trans rights and that kind of thing. I think he's. He just. Yeah. I wonder what's
3: going on, going on there. Well, look. Look. The job of the parliamentary party was was to narrow this down to two credible prime ministers. I think we've done that. I think Rishi Sunak could be a credible prime minister. The question is, which is the better of the two. And I, I believe it's Liz. I do think that Rishi perhaps pays too much attention to the Treasury mandarins. And it's not exactly a secret on a par with the Trident Codes that the upper arms <laughs> of the Treasury were always deeply opposed to Brexit. And some would argue they still are. So, so, so I think there would be a difference in the style of government. You know, I want a prime minister who's giving the civil servants the orders, not the other way around. If Liz Truss is the Prime Minister, I have no doubt whatsoever who's going to be in charge. I think if Rishi were the Prime Minister, the risk is that he would pay too much attention to his civil servants and not enough attention to what the members of the Conservative Party want. But that's my opinion
4: which is a fair opinion. Mark Francois, you've been reading the Telegraph for, for years and years. You've been following the, the campaign for, by members uh, supported by some letters in our newspaper uh, this week to give members a choice or a vote in whether Boris Johnson should stand down as leader. Do you agree with that campaign?
3: Uh, I'm afraid I don't. Uh, I, I thought you are a
4: Democrat, Mark Francois. I,
3: I am, Chopper, but we all know the recent history. Look, Boris has got some achievements he can always be proud of. Right, he led the country through COVID. He nearly died of it himself. Right, he said he would get Brexit done. He did, but we still have this tidying up to do around the protocol, which we were discussing. He's been absolutely staunch in his support for the Ukrainians. Uh, you know, he's effectively led the West on that. But we all know what happened in Number Ten. We all know about the Gray Report. And in the end, unfortunately, it got to a point. Where he had lost the confidence of his cabinet and his ministers and many on the on the back benches, and after all the trials and tribulations that we've been through over the last few months, I don't think we'll want to go round that loop all over again. That said, at his last p m s cues chopper, I got up and thanked him for what he did to bring in that bill to protect Northern Ireland veterans from endless investigation. And re investigation. So I you know, I, I thanked him for that, perhaps slightly presumptuously on behalf of the veterans. But you know well that I and others like Johnny Mercer, we have do that for years. So no, hang on, to make my point, you know, I thank Boris publicly for doing that. So he has a legacy that he can be proud of, but I don't think the party can afford to go round this loop again.
4: I said, cheekily, you're a Democrat. I say that because lots of members feel that they voted two to one for their leader, Boris Johnson, back in 2019. He then won a mandate, a massive majority, the biggest since Thatcher, in the succeeding election later that year. And now MPs, a minority of ministers, have acted against him to force him out. And that seems to members to be anti-democratic, but to give them a vote... Or whether they support that decision would, would give the whole uh, party a democratic wrapper that isn't there. Do you see that argument?
3: I do, but you know the, the, the party has rules. The 1922 committee has rules, which were pretty scrupulously followed. Chopper, and you know we had a vote of no confidence, which Boris won, but won pretty narrowly. Really, you know we all know the history of this. I, I don't think even Boris wants to. Put the party through the agony of all over again. I think we <laughs> okay. need to. I think we need to move forward. We need to pick. Are you a- saying move on, Mark Fonsoir, to Chopper. You are saying move on, and I get that. Well, Chopper, I- I'm saying what we need to do now is we need to get through this contest, pick a prime minister, and then whoever it is, we've all got to unite behind that prime minister because I do not want a Keir Starmer-led government with Nicola Sturgeon of the SNP as the tail that wags the dog. I don't know any member of the Conservative Party that wants that. I don't know many members of the British public that want that. So we've got to have a lively and genuine debate. We've got to pick a winner. I hope it will be Liz Truss, but it's up to every individual party member to take the decision that they think is best And then we unite behind the new prime minister, whoever they are, and then we tear into Labour, who are not having a good 24 hours at the moment, are they?
4: Mark Francois, just finally then, you're one of the um, original Spartans. You've written a book about holding out over three votes against Theresa May's Brexit deal for the one that appeared, along with The Telegraph, uniquely on Fleet Street, of course. When will Brexit get done?
3: Well, as you very kindly mentioned it, Chopper, the uh, Spartan Victory it sold almost 5,000 copies. It's still available on Amazon, if I might humbly say so. But I. Um, I think we left the European Union. We withdrew our MEPs from the European Parliament because we were no longer entitled to them. We are now a sovereign country, but there is still unfinished business with regarding Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland Protocol. I believe for all the reasons we've just been discussing in some detail, Liz Truss is the best person. To finish that business, I believe she's the best person to lead the United Kingdom. Not least in standing up to the European Union. But when? Just answer that. When? When will uh, be done? I want to see that protocol bill in law as soon as possible. We, we've left the EU, chopper. This We're year. No this year. Uh, it, that partly depends on the House of Lords. I think it flew through the Commons. Yes. Yep. Uh, not a single MP voted against it at second reading. So if the Lords were sensible, I don't think they should oppose that bill. But if they do, then Liz has made it perfectly plain she's prepared to Parliament act it and I and I think you know the vast bulk of us would absolutely support her in that. Let's get that done too. So get ready for some more
4: constitutional fireworks about Brexit. Mark Francois, coming to us down the line from Rayleigh and Wickford in Essex. Thanks for joining us this week on Chubbers Politics. Great to chat. My pleasure. Thank you, Chubb. Marc-Francois there. Well, that's all for this week, listeners. I'd love to know your thoughts on what any of our guests have said today. Please email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or on Twitter, we're at chopperspodcast. For more from me, please do sign up to my daily Choppers Politics newsletter, bringing you the best Westminster insights straight into your email inbox every weekday. Sign up for that at telegraph.co.uk forward slash politics newsletter. And do be sure to check out my weekly Peterborough Diary gossip column out at 7pm on Fridays on our website and in Saturday's Daily Telegraph. Thank you again to my guests this week, Kit Malthouse, Marc Francois and of course Telegraph's very own Camilla Turner. Thank you to the brilliant team behind this podcast, Giles Gere and Louisa Wells. And most of all, thank you to you. And finally, it is nearly August, and even podcasters like me need a break from politics. So I'm off for a couple of weeks. In a fortnight, we'll be bringing you the highlights of a brilliant Telegraph Hustings featuring Liz Truss versus Rishi Sunak, hosted by my friend and colleague Camilla Tomini. So be sure to check that out. And in the meantime, if you can, please do buy a copy of The Daily Telegraph. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio!